welcome to just a couple of horrors. It is I, Brianda, your host, with you here another week to bring you a treat, a Halloween treat, a spooky oogie oogie. Oh my gosh, totally unrelated. Did you guys hear about people trying to get rid of the word spooky? Kind of like, what? That spooky is like a whole feeling, a whole a whole vibe, a whole situation. It's kind of strange that people are trying to get rid of the word. I read the whole context behind it about it being racist, but honestly, I feel like the word spooky itself just is like a whole other connotation. And I literally listened to a show called That's So That's So Spooky or That's Spooky, you know, and it's um two really cool guys and I can't imagine that they would like rename their whole podcast because people are trying to boycott the word spooky so weird so weird this world we're living in (laughs) but anyway how are you guys this is the podcast that brings you you know um the interesting funk and weird stories and really asks those deep hard-hitting questions like how many chickens does it take to kill an elephant? Hmm? How many? Can't be a dozen. And and how would they do it? Do would they just like peck it? Try to scratch its eyes out? If you were to give a guess how many chickens it would take to take down an elephant, I would say you'd probably have to like weigh the elephant and then weigh the chickens, right? And then divide the weight of the elephant by the weight of the chicken to give you like a number of chickens. Because I think like if they were equal weight, then maybe they'd have like equal power. I don't know. This is the kind of dumb shit that I think about like at two in the morning and then I just spiral, you know? But anyway, today's episode is a very special episode. It is very much influenced by the spookiness, the spooky vibe. It's October, end of October right now. So we're heading into the final week of Halloween. And isn't it so weird that Halloween's on a Tuesday? Like it doesn't even feel right. I always feel like Halloween should be on a Friday, Saturday kind of a day but whatever you know who am i who am i i don't make the rules here i just fucking show up okay but anyway today's spooky treat is a halloween countdown today's episode we're gonna be counting down 10 halloween crimes okay i'm gonna bring you 10 halloween crimes some are spooky some are horrible some are weird some are like what the fuck are you telling me right now and that's just what i'm here to deliver so fucking tie your shoes call your mom uh hide your kids hide your wife okay hide them we go okay starting off with number 10 sister Tadea Benz a 76 year old nun was discovered deceased in her room 
within the convent she resided in Amarillo, Texas on October 31st, 1981. Johnny Frank Garrett, a resident living across the street from the convent, was convicted of the rape and strangulation of Sister Benz. Um, Garrett received a death sentence and was executed in 1992. His last words were, I'd like to thank my family for loving me and thank you for taking care of me. The rest of the world can kiss my ass. Can you fucking believe that? Like, what kind of a person... First of all, any person that commits, I've said this before and I'll say this again, any per, any type of person that commit rape is not okay, murder is not okay, like none of that is okay, but there's a very specific kind of person that commits sexual acts, right? And there's like a whole psychology behind it if of like control and this whole dynamic that goes behind people's head yes i took abnormal psychology when i was in college bet you didn't know i can fucking read but no seriously there's a whole psychology there's a whole deal with like people who commit sex crimes and in my mind there's no reform for that there's no reform okay like once you diddle someone once you sexually assault and the word the the phrase sexual assault kind of pisses me off too because i feel like that that downplays the the situation like this woman was raped okay she wasn't sexually assaulted no dude it was violent she was raped and such a vile act to such a vile word and i know that sometimes those kind of words can be triggering to people but i feel like if you call it sa it almost kind of minimizes the gravity of the situation like yo this guy was monstrous okay and i believe he was only like 17 when he did this which is like even worse like what the fuck happened to you like what but yeah this guy was executed in 1992 thank goodness and what's also really weird is that his family his sisters were trying to clear his name and really fought the courts to try to get the rape um extracted out of the charges they were like we have no doubt that he like you know killed her and strangled her but he didn't rape her like what the hell sometimes it's better just take the l and sit the fuck down and and get out of there like this was a woman of jesus this was a woman of god it's just insane to me but anyway number nine on october 31st 2010 devin griffin 16 years old came home after spending the night out according to the report made by the sandusky register devin began searching the home after noticing that there was an eerie silence Devin was then met with a gruesome scene as he found his stepdad lying in a pool of blood in bed. Devin fled the scene and contacted his aunt, who then contacted the authorities. William Lisky, or Lisk, Lisk Lisky, 24, was Devin's stepbrother. He had used a claw hammer to bludgeon his father. After the bludgeoning, 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 Lisk shot his stepbrother, Derek Griffin, 23, with a 22 caliber rifle and did the same to his stepmother, Susan, 43, after sexually assaulting her. 
Lisk Lasquet pleaded guilty to three counts of aggravated murder, according to Port Clinton News Herald. Later, he was found with a self-inflicted wound in his jail cell in 2015. Like, insanity. Imagine you go out to a party, you know, it's Halloween night, woo-woo, you're dressed like a vampire, blah, blah, blah. And then you come home, and that's what you fucking find? It's just insane to me. And then worst is that this guy then just ends up killing himself. He, there's... there's Granted, he was convicted and he was in prison, but there is just no justice, like, in the sense that he, you know, offed himself. What a, what a, what a sicko. Number eight. Shirley Ledford was abducted by two men in a van on October 31st, 1979. Ledford thought that the men were just offering her a ride home but their true intentions were far worse. The Toolbox Killers were a group of teenagers in Southern California who terrorized by the use of common household tools in a toolbox. After torturing Ledford for several hours, they dumped Ledford's body on a stranger's lawn. Ledford was the last Toolbox Killer after the friends of the Toolbox Killer turned them in. Lawrence Bittaker was convicted of killing Ledford on March in March 1981. Bittaker later died of natural causes in San Quentin State Prison on December 2019. Roy Norris pleaded guilty of killing Ledford and was sentenced to life in prison. Norris later died of natural causes in February. Uh, 2020 at the California Medical Facility and yeah toolbox killer this is a topic that I've been meaning to you know I've been I've been pondering it I've been pondering it if I should cut do a full episode um on this but there's just some crimes that I'm that I kind of just take a seat back because I'm like yo this is like this is like too much this is too much brutality so, but it's definitely on the list. Seven. After settling in for the night, Peter and Benny, Betty Fabiano were awakened by the ringing of the doorbell on October 31st, 1957. Peter, thinking it was a late night trick-or-treater, went to the door with candy in hand. He was met by a masked woman with a brown bag pointing to the door. The woman fired the gun she had been hiding in the brown bag, hitting Peter in the chest and killing him instantly. According to the LA Times, police arrested Joan Rabble, who had allegedly had a sexual relationship with Betty Fabiano, his wife. Joan Rabble had another woman, Goldine Pfizer, knock on his door and kill Peter. Joan was tried along with Pfizer for second-degree murder and sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Both women were later acquitted, and Betty Fabiano was never tried for her part in her husband's death. Again, wow, holy, holy fucking shit. I, I, you know, sometimes I just think, you know, if you just don't want to be with someone then why don't you just leave, (laughs) you know, um, just get the fuck out, 
I get it too, you know, in those times, I guess being a lesbian, you know, was kind of, you know, really big deal. Being gay was a really big deal. But, you know, if you're not happy in your situation, just get the fuck out. Go love who you want to love. And yeah, you might not have all the financial stability, but at least you don't need to hide. There's no reason to be killing people over this. Just craziness to me. Six. Laura Ann Amy, then 17 years old, departed a Halloween party in Utah on October 31st, 1974. She eventually came into contact with serial killer Ted Bundy. Although there are still some unanswered questions regarding this Halloween murder, a few things are known. Amy reportedly snuck out of the Halloween party that fatal night to grab some cigarettes, according to the LA Times. Amy eventually crossed paths with Bundy and disappeared into the night. Amy's naked body was discovered and halfway down an embankment in American Fort Canyon over a month later, before the 17-year-old year-old's murderer dumped her body. She had been raped, beaten, and strangled. Disturbingly, as the Daily Herald reported at the time, it appeared that she had died only a week after her body was found. I'm sorry. Oh, only a week before her body was found. What the hell? She's not a tra- time traveler. That meant that her killer had likely kept her alive for some time after he abducted her on Halloween night. Police soon connected Amy's murder to several other crimes that occurred around the same time and area, such as the kidnapping of 17-year-old Deborah Kent, whose body was, you know, still missing, but they were able to find one of her kneecaps in 2019, and the death of Melissa Smith, the 17-year-old daughter of local police chief. Even though Laura Ann Amy was never directly, uh, Admitted to by the serial killer, Ted Bundy, investigators surmise that she was one of uh, Ted Bundy's dozens of victims. Her murder, she was kidnapped, raped, strangled, um, all as well as the same period and place of her disappearance fit Ted Bundy's pattern of behavior. And this one is just, you know, they're all just so sad to me. But when I think of You know, Bundy only admitted to a number of crimes and well, they were only able to actually like link names and and bodies and and disappearances to like a, a, a number of people. But I think like in reality, they estimated that he killed like a lot of women, like 50 or like he a big, big number. And I believe that they only like were able to pin like. 10 or something maybe i should look this up let me see how many women did bundy kill yeah it says that ted bundy killed at least 30 young women and jesus that is just Ted Bundy is a trip to me because, you know, the whole he's so charming law student situation and his sister turned out to be his mom and the whole shebang. But the thing that gets me the most about Bundy is that he reminds me of my dad. He reminds me of my dad. He was just like 
same thing so charming like handsome good-looking guy everybody loved him and then behind closed doors he was like just a fucking menace and nobody would ever know that nobody would ever believe that he was really really like that unless they witnessed it and that's kind of the 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 vibes that my dad was throwing out which is why every time i see bundy i literally like i'm like yo he like looks like my dad he's giving me like my dad vibes do i have problems do i need psychological help (laughs) i think i do i think i do Five, on October 31st, 2005, Teresa Halbeck set out on a job. A freelance photographer, she had been hired by Auto Trader to photograph vehicles at the Manitowoc County, Wisconsin home of Stephen Avery. Now, this name might sound familiar to you because Stephen Avery was the subject of um, making a murder in... Um, the Netflix special, right? So people claim that Teresa had no desire to visit the Avery property because the last time she had gone, Avery had startled, startled her by answering the door, just wearing a towel. A week later, her charred remains were discovered in a burned pit on Stephen Avery's property. Stephen Avery initially seemed like the perfect suspect. Halbach's car had been hidden away in Avery's property. His blood was found inside the vehicle and her DNA was discovered on a bullet in Avery's garage. Her spare keys were also uncovered in his trailer. Avery claimed his innocence and it was again mentioned um, in the Netflix series Making a Murder back in 2015, it laid out how he might have been framed. Um, indeed, Avery had previously served 18 years in prison for a rape he didn't commit, and he had just filed a lawsuit um, against the county, former sheriff, and the former district attorney for $36 million. Avery later argued that the court had been framing him for murder for retaliation for getting off of the of the previous conviction um what's more is that in 2019 joseph evans jr a convicted killer claimed that he had been the one that killed hellback and framed stephen avery however Avery is still in prison serving a life sentence. Now, if you guys are familiar with this case, which I know a lot of, you know, murder, murder, murderino, murder junkies or whatever the hell, you know, people like us um, are because a lot of us watched Making a Murderer. I always kept thinking to myself, why did he go back (laughs) if he was released and served all of this time and he felt that you know that small town county all of it it's all like family 
all of the sheriffs and the district attorney, they're all related. And it was part of this mass cover up to frame him and what have you. Why, when he was released, why didn't he just leave? Like, why did he go back to the place where he said that people framed him? That part, I just never understood. Like, yo, if you know that these people were, like, out to get you, then why the frick did you go back? I will never, ever, 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 ever understand that. And it's really sad because, you know, the documentary makes it obviously look a certain way. And I think it's because they're trying to plant the seed of, of doubt, right? That he could potentially be innocent of the murder of Teresa. Um, I mean, I'm not a detective. I don't know these things. And, you know, they do make a really compelling case, though. I'm not going to lie. Um, however, again, I'm not a fucking detective. I, I don't know this shit. I don't know what's right from left, you know? And for all we know, he could be guilty the problem is like why did you go back dude if you were innocent why didn't you just fucking scram the fuck out of there if you knew these people had it out for you like why did you go back i just i just will never understand anyway number four the last several hours of Amatula McLaughlin's young life were something out of a horror movie. The five-year-old died in a gruesome Halloween murder at the hands of her own mother after being taunted about the boogeyman. According to People, police were called at the Parksburg, Pennsylvania home that McLaughlin shared with her mother, Ciara Robinson, and a younger brother on Halloween night on, in 2018. Though the five-year-old was already dead, there was no question about what had happened to her. Daily local news reported that Robinson admitted to multiple people that she had pushed Amatula down the basement stairs. I knocked her out. She won't wake up. I'm going to jail, Robinson told a friend after pushing Amatula down the stairs. While in a holding cell, she also shouted, I wish I'd never pushed her down the fucking stairs. I shouldn't have pushed her. When formally interviewed, however, Robinson's story changed. According to the Daily Local News, Robinson admitted to hitting and slapping Amatula and threatening to put her in the basement with the boogeyman. But she claimed that the five-year-old had fallen down the steps and it was an accident. However, investigators noticed that Amatula's body bore the marks of significant long-term abuse. People reports that the five-year-old had bruises, scars, puncture wounds, strike marks covering her legs, arms, and back. Indeed, Robinson admitted that she had been abusing her daughter for about a year, and she later pleaded guilty to killing her. The little girl was severely abused, culminating to her death, said the Chester County District Attorney. If you guys notice a pattern, um... Or if you guys will notice at any of my past episodes, there's very little that I don't like to talk about. And one, it's like sexual crimes. And two, it's crimes against children. There is just a special fucking place in hell or, or whatever it is you believe in that these people deserve anybody who would harm a child in any way shape or form um 
I just can't. I just, like, it just, like, it makes me so angry. It makes me catatonic. I don't even know. Like, I just blank out and I put myself in that situation. And it really fucks with me, which is one of the reasons that I don't really like to cover these stories. However, um, I just threw this one in here because it was, you know, part of the Halloween countdown and it deserves to be told, even though I can't go into it in full detail. I thought, you know, it's a good, it's a good, you know, opportunity to say it. Number three. On Halloween night in 1959, dentist William V. Shine decided to give out tricks with his treats. The trick? Shine bought candy-coated laxatives and gave him out to roughly 450 very unlucky trick-or-treaters. Although the laxatives aren't really deadly, about 30 of the children did actually eat the candy and got violently sick. Authorities were able to narrow down the cause of the illness and track the laxatives back to Shine. He was charged with multiple crimes, including outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drug. He never gave a reason for handing out the laxatives. Um, this one's kind of... <laughs> you know, as... As a girl with older brothers, my brothers messed with me a lot and would do weird shit to my food. With honestly, damn, I had like a really fucked up childhood. Anyway, they would mess with me, you know. And this one, I can almost see the humor to it, except the tart trick or treating is for children, right? Essentially, because like you know, I'm five foot one. If I put on a costume, I can pass for a kid. However, the the general consensus is that it's like for children, right? So, I like you're gonna give diarrhea to like a bunch of little kids. <laughs> like that's fucked up, dude. I can almost understand it if you did it to adults, but like kids, yo, kids, what is wrong with you, sir? What is wrong with you? Shame on you. Shame. I wish I had a bell. Shame. Shame. Okay. Number two, on Halloween night in 2011, Frank Alba took his Halloween enthusiasm to an extreme level. We're all familiar with those houses that blur the line between decorations and reality, where you're never quite certain if the person in the rocking chair is a living being or a spooky decoration. Well, Frank Alba decided to embrace his eerie ambiance. He adorned himself in a blood-stained apron armed with a real chainsaw and concealed himself within the foliage of his fate of his home on this fateful Halloween night in 2011. Frank was well aware that he had positioned himself along the path where children were returning home from trick-or-treating. As anticipated, a group of youngsters soon made their way past his hiding spot with a sudden and terrifying leap from the bushes that he had been hiding in. Frank unleashed his roaring chainsaw, prompting children to shriek, scream, run in terror. Tragically, a 12-year-old Leslie Garcia in her panic ran into a busy road and was struck by a passing car. 
the Garcia family initiated a lawsuit due to the significant and permanent injuries on top of the psychological trauma that Leslie had endured. However, the outcome of the legal proceedings remain unclear. This one, this one, like, what are you, sir, a real chainsaw, bro? Like, what is your, what is your problem, sir? Like, I get wanting to scare little kids, you know, so then you just pretend to be a fucking mannequin and like, you know, scare somebody. But like, pull out a chainsaw and like you're not a universal like you're not a horror night sir you can't chase people with like fake chainsaws like you have to pay for that shit you 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 can't just do that out in public like what did you think was gonna happen bro it's it's really sad that people are just like their minds are going unchecked like every thought that goes through like people's fucking heads are like yeah you should totally do that like what the fuck did you think was gonna especially if you're like on a busy street like what do you ah, it just makes me really really upset you know and this girl this little girl she was left with like permanent injuries like she'll never be the fucking same only because she literally walked on the wrong side of the street and you're like Bleh, you know with a chainsaw but i digest anyway we are down to our final halloween crime and I saved this one for last because, you know, I'm, I'm a cynical bitch. And I, I think there's a lot of irony and just disgusting fucking shit in this one that it was probably, to my, in my opinion, it was like the worst one. So number one, John D. White. Now, John D. White was a minister at a small church in Michigan. Many people did not know about his turbulent past of the beloved minister. In Battle Creek, 1980, when White was 22 years old, he lured his 17-year-old neighbor, Teresa Etherton, into his basement. When she was distracted, he grabbed her and repeatedly stabbed her. Etherton survived, and White served two years before getting out on an appeal. Then, 1994, White was implicated in the disappearance of a young woman, Vicki Sue Wall. Her body was eventually found, but due to the lack of evidence, White agreed to plead no contest to involuntary manslaughter. So, if you get, like, no contest is, like, look, I didn't, I'm not going to admit that I did it, but I'm not going to, like, say I didn't, okay? Like, y'all do without what you want, right? So, it usually ends up, like, reducing people's, um, so it's like the courts are saying, like, look, dude, we know you fucking didn't. We just don't have enough evidence and time to prove it. So we're going to give you this deal, this, like, reduced sentence in order for you to just, like, you know, accept that this happened. You're not admitting that you did it, but you're not denying it. You're just accepting that it happened, you know. So it's kind of like a deal. Um, It's kind of like a fucked up deal. But anyway. He was behind bars from 1995 to 2007. By 2012, 
His life had been, quote, reformed, a pillar of the community, a star in his community, in the society, right? And by this time, he was a beloved minister in Michigan, but tragedy struck again. On October 31st, 2012, Rebecca Gay, she was a much-loved single single mother with a young son, three-year-old Conway. Um, She didn't show up to work at the local store. A co-worker went to her home to look for her, did not find her, but noticed on her way back that her car was parked in a bar near her trailer. Her mother, Sally Gay, and friends became very concerned because this was very unlike Rebecca. Um, Detectives interviewed John White, Minister John White, who was 55, um, because he was in a relationship with Sally. So he was like, he was in a relationship with Rebecca's mom, right? So he was like her stepdad pretty much he lived in the same trailer park as Rebecca and it was routine for White to pick up Conway her three-year-old son and drop him off at her at you know the dad's house on Wednesdays so he was like an involved member of their family he had a relationship with Sally's daughter looking like a nice grandpa like sure let me sure let me pick up the kiddo and take him to his dad's house Mm -hmm, I'm such a good person it was determined that on the night prior to Halloween that year White snuck into Rebecca's home beat her over the head with a rubber mallet he slipped a cable tie over her throat and cinched it very tight When she eventually stopped moving, he then dragged her into the kitchen and violated her recently deceased body. That's right. That's right. He was a fucking necrophiliac, that son of a bitch. He stuffed her body in a garbage bag, dumped her down a ravine, and drove home. He moved Rebecca's car into the bar parking lot to mislead the detectives. In March 2013, yeah, 2013, John White pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. He was sentenced to 56 years in prison, according to CBS News. Four months later, he killed himself in jail. Can't, like, I just, like, I can't compute, you know? This crime, this one, I saved it for last because I was thinking about maybe doing an episode on this because the whole thing is just so, so jacked up. This guy was like, you know, a beloved, a beloved minister. He was the day that, you know, after his after his stepdaughter went missing, he like did a sermon about look, you know, looking within your own people and making sure you keep your eyes open because there's bad seeds all around you. And it could be the person next to you that's doing all these things. And somebody out here knows something and, you know, watch thy neighbor and the whole fucking shebang. And meanwhile, it was him all along. Like throughout the research that I found, I saw that he had like, I don't know what the fuck he was thinking, but he was like, you know, at home and he like drank five beers and he started to watch porn 
on his like stupid little flip phone or whatever he was using. I imagine it was a stupid little flip phone because he just sounds like a fucking old dilapidated fucking ugly person. But he was watching a specific kind of porn and it was like necrophilia. And he's like five, six beers in watching this porn. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I want to do that. And then in his head, like, yeah, 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 yeah. He had like fantasized about his like essentially like stepdaughter, you know, it was Sally's daughter. So he's like, well, you know, let me just uh, fucking go over there and see what's up. So as like her son is like being put to bed she he like sneaks into her fucking house and just fucking starts fucking beating her you know and you know i mean i mentioned the rest but he starts like you know beating her and like he puts a zip tie on her and he like makes sure that like she's dead because the thing that he was trying to do is like have sex with her dead body and it's just like again the psychology behind sexual crimes like sexually charged crimes and then you throw on this other layer of their if it being like necrophilia like they're like the i just i just don't this is the reason why um jeffrey dahmer is so interesting to me and i say interesting not not in like a glorifying way like interesting in the sense that like i want to i want to learn and i want to understand why people's brains do this right like what is what is the difference between their brain and like a normal brain because normal brains have like weird ass crazy thoughts too but there's a there's a line that you know like you have this weird ass thought you know or like an intrusive thought but you don't act on it right and then there's people who are like yeah fuck it i'm gonna do that and they cross that line like what is the brain chemistry difference between the, the the habitual line steppers and the ones that don't because there's clearly like clearly something different something misfiring or just like your whole fucking gray matter is just different like there's clearly something i'm gonna research that okay but and then he was a fucking minister like people trusted this fucking guy you know but uh yeah these are 10 halloween crimes that i wanted to share with you yeah you i wanted i wanted to share these with you so that you would know to lock your fucking doors carry mace maybe carry a a legal size knife that you won't get in trouble for carry a fucking bat but also carry a glove because then if you like it you know if you get pulled over or something you can always say well i was gonna play catch have a ball too but yeah my point being is keep your eyes keep your eyes open look around you you know keep keep the peepers peeping and keep swinging that bat all right stay safe don't drink and drive uh and that's it that's all i got for you thank you for tuning in to another weird episode i never know how to end this but uh if you want you can go check out the uh instagram page just a couple of horrors 
pod you can check out the tiktok just a couple of horrors pod um you know send me some weird shit send me a topic suggestion just say hi uh and that's it okay i gotta fucking go because i i gotta go drink a beer now but you have fun over there goodbye